Today's episode is sponsored by the Dwell Bible app. Dwell is an audio Bible app unlike anything that you have heard. You can customize who is reading the Bible. There are a handful of different voices you can use. You can customize the music, the volume levels, and the repetition. If you're looking for a new and fresh way to be able to read your Bible, memorize scripture, this is a great resource for you. And so feel free to visit dwellapp.io backslash culture matters to get a 20% discount and start using your ears to renew your mind. Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Elizabeth Woodson, and I'm here with my co-host, Taryn Mays. We're also joined by special guest, Summer Vincent Berger. How are y'all doing today? So good. So good. So good. It's good to be together, Summer. We are so glad that you were here. Thanks for joining us. I was so happy to be invited. It is an honor. Thanks, guys. Yeah. No, I'm excited for our conversation. I'm excited for the ladies to have a conversation. This is fun. Yes. Today, we are continuing our series on mental health, and we are going to have a conversation today about depression and suicide. And so I want to start our conversation off with just a warning uh, that we will be having a conversation about a hard topic. And so based upon your experience, this conversation might be difficult for you. Um, But please know that we will have resources available both in our show notes and at the end of our conversation. So before we jump into today's topic, I want to give Summer an opportunity to introduce herself. Summer, can you share a little bit about yourself, what you do, and your experience when it comes to the topic of depression and suicide? Yeah, so um, currently uh, I am the Senior Director of Care at the Village Church. That's my current role and where I work, and so my role there is to uh, build, oversee, and just make sure we are having um, great standards of care um, for our people. Uh, uh, my training is that I am a licensed professional counselor. So before I came on the village, I was a practicing counselor providing uh, therapy um, for the last 10 years. And so that usually was in uh, outpatient clinics. And so outpatient clinic, that just means it's kind of what you see on TV for counseling. You go for one hour and you go home. Um, and so in uh, in outpatient probably 90% of what we are seeing when people come for counseling is going to be two things, depression and anxiety. Uh, that will be the what we call the presenting problem. People are going to say that's what they're feeling when they come in. Uh, and so that's been a majority of my professional experience, um, working with uh, trauma, uh, abuse recovery, um, uh, codependency, healthy relationships, and then mood disorders. And that's just kind of a fancy word for depression, anxiety, um, uh, bipolar, that those um, diagnoses all fall under that category. And so uh, typically an outpatient, if someone is actively suicidal, um, that would not be the best form of treatment for them. We would send them to a more intensive um, space for care. Uh, but um, uh, we link depression and suicide so much. There's many more variables and factors that can um, contribute to someone feeling suicidal, but depression is going to be number one. And so um, professionally, you have to be aware and trained when people come in um, to assess, is this the best place for them? And so that's where I've spent a lot of my my professional uh, career. I work on staff with Summer at TVC, yeah. and I want to say that you've been a really 
you've been a real gift to our congregation Thank and you. to our staff, um, especially as we think about what it means for the church to engage these issues yeah. that we as staff members are trained yeah. um, in areas and when we know what is within our capacity and what's beyond our capacity. Yeah. And so you just have been a real gift to us in doing that. So I just want to give you your props at Thank the beginning you. Thank of you. the conversation. <laughs> so let's jump in um, because definitions matter. Um, and so, Summer, can you give us, uh, to the best of your ability, a definition of depression? What is suicide? How are they different? Um, and how are these things defined when we think about the greater culture or just science? Yeah. So um, uh, the word depression, I'm trying to be succinct here, is it's a big umbrella. And depression is it's complex and it's nuanced. So there's a physical component, emotional, uh, and mental component as well. So it is not just an emotion. Depression is just, oh, I feel sad, so you're depressed. Um, kind of culturally, we might hear um, characteristics of depression, which I think are true, is um, there's a hopelessness involved in depression, um, a feeling of deep emptiness. Um, someone who is truly depressed can't imagine the future. Um, there's impaired living that just, you know, people who are struggling to function in ways they normally would, um, and just a feeling of worthlessness or what um, we call toxic or illegitimate shame. And so those are just culturally what we'll see. And I think those are good definitions. If you um, look at depression clinically, which I think we should, depression is a different category than sadness. Depression is not just an emotion. So we kind of use that interchangeably. I'm depressed today. Um, and really, we're just saying I'm sad. It's been a hard day. Um, but depression is a is a diagnosed mental illness. And so there's a weight uh, that should come with that word. So um, uh, and clinically, we, do, we don't just say someone's depressed. We say there's depressive disorders. And there are five um, five defined clinical depressive disorders. And the one that we are usually talking about is major depressive disorder. It's the most common um, or a major depressive episode. And so what that means, if you um, are going to be diagnosed or say you've had a depressive episode or a major depressive disorder, uh, clinically we say uh, there's nine symptoms that we look at. You have to have five of those almost all day, every day for two weeks. And then you qualify um, for a clinical, clinically depressed episode. And that can feel like really scary and like, oh my gosh, most people are going to hit these markers at some point in their life. If you are, if you are alive and engaged, you will have suffering um, where you might hit, meet that mark. It doesn't mean, oh my gosh, this is, this is a new banner you have to walk under. It just means you are human um, and you have succumbed to what suffering or oppression does. And so I just want to give you guys um, the nine symptoms just so you can hear them. So depressed mood, most of the day, every day, a decreased interest in pleasure. I used to like music. Now I just don't even care to listen to it. Um, uh, significant weight loss or gain, insomnia or hypersomnia. I sleep too much or I can't sleep. Um, psychomotor agitation or re retardation. That just means I'm restless or fidgety or my, my physical body is operating really slow. Uh, fatigue, feelings of worthlessness, uh, and the diminished ability to think or concentrate. So kind of that brain fog. Like, I don't know how what's going on. You're not as sharp as you feel like you are, normally are, or um, uh, recurrent thoughts of death. So five of those nine qualify for what we would say is clinically depressed. Um, and again, it's not something to – it's heavy, but if you are hearing this and going, oh, my goodness, I think I'm in that space – um, I'm glad you can identify that and get some help, but I don't want you to feel this like, oh, this is now who I am, this heavy diagnosis. It's um, We're allowed to be human and feel the weight of what we're going through. 
Summer, that is incredibly helpful. Those those categories and definitions are um, are just helpful to think through on a on a very practical level. Can you talk with us a little bit about uh, how uh, what a biblical definition of depression um, and suicide looks like? Uh, maybe does it differ? Or uh, is it very similar? Tell us a little bit about it. Um, so broadly, um, I don't think that the Bible um, speaks to every specific issue in life or mental health. Um, what we're going to see in the Bible is people who are living um, living these experiences, and we can look at it and go, oh, that looks like someone who might be depressed or might have mood swings. Um, the Bible absolutely talks about fear and anxiety, um, but the Bible is not a mental health manual that um, acknowledges all of the different diagnosis or experiences that we're going to have, right? Right. So we can actually look um, and read through the Bible and go, the Bible absolutely speaks to suffering, oppression, grief, um, and strong emotions um, through the stories of real people um, who lived this. Um, But ultimately, Scripture is there to give us um, the story and character of God to stand on through this. But it is not a... um, I don't think it's as clear as what we... um, It is not as clear as what we talk about now with mental health. Yes, I totally agree. And we even uh, we were talking even before the show about those uh, specific examples yeah. within Scripture of individuals who commit suicide. There's yeah. around six or seven for everyone from King Saul, and we have Abimelech, and then you move to Judas in the New Testament, and we see people suffering yeah. and uh, committing violence yeah. against themselves. Yeah. And and simultaneously, to your point, we yeah. see the heart of God move towards them. So we understand those as being descriptive about the event and the circumstance, uh, but not prescriptive. Yes. And this is what you need to do coming out of those things, which is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to us a little bit kind of on a more practical level. What does depression look like in the day-to-day for someone who's going to struggle in that or uh, or even suicide, suicidal ideation? What does that look like for someone kind of on the ground? So, um, I do want to be clear. You can wrestle with diagnosed depression and not wrestle with feeling suicidal. They don't have to go together. But um, when it becomes severe is when suicidal thoughts can begin to grow and grow and grow. Um, so, But for depression, again, that is going to be such a spectrum um, for what it's going to look like practically. You're going to have some people who um, you might think kind of what you see in the movies more classically, can't get out of bed, they're in a dark room, um, they're they're struggling to hit their daily acts of living, um, you know, hygiene, calling friends, they're isolating. You can also people who are severely depressed who are high functioning in the sense that they have found a way to perform and create a veneer. Um, but then when they internally, when they go back into um, retreat back to their home or wherever, um, they're, they're crumbling internally. So day-to-day living with depression, the main things that I will people will report um, is what they're experiencing are a lot of fatigue. To fake it through life is exhausting um, and struggling to get through the day. So even if you got promoted that day and you had a great presentation, getting to 9 p.m. where you can go to sleep, you're barely making it. Um, uh, and so there's just a a shame will come with that because you feel like you're presenting in a way that you're not feeling. So a lot of hiding, a lot of um, having a hard time having authentic relationships because to expose that means you're weak and shame says, no, 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 hide that. You should be you should be happy. You have all these great things going on. Um, so practically it's going to look um, different from person to person, but those are some of the common denominators. Uh, the hard thing about answering that question when it comes to someone who has um, completed the act of suicide is that um, we don't 
have that data because we can't talk to somebody. All we can go off of is um, uh, the data we have is from interviews from friends or family or anything that we can um, have access to to read that they've left behind. So um, you have, I think this is important, you have to define, we have suicidal ideation, and that just means someone who's thinking um, about suicide but doesn't necessarily have a plan or a means. They just might go, I just don't want to wake up in the morning. Um, or I wish I could close my eyes and disappear. I also call that passive suicidal thoughts. Typically, that person is seeking help. They're talking about it. And if they receive treatment, they're going to be fine. It's an incredibly common experience to to have the walls close in and to feel like I just want to disappear. Um, so that that kind of behavior practically would fall in line with someone who's depressed, someone who is attempting suicide, meaning they've injured themselves with the intent to end their life. They attempted it, but it didn't. They didn't complete the act, or a suicide completer, which is they did complete the act. They injured themselves with the intent to die, and they did die. Um, the day to day life, we just don't know what that looks like. But we do know some of the some of the warning signs: um, a preoccupation with death, um, an inability to think about the future, uh, maybe psychological restlessness or turmoil. Um, and uh, an extreme withdrawal, typically um, they're not going to talk about it before they um, attempt or complete the act. So it's studying um, suicide is hard for, for the reason that we can't talk to the people um, who've completed the act. You know, I think it's helpful um, as, you know, as our audience is, you know, people who serve in the church or are part of the church you know, giving ourselves and our members the freedom to be self-aware yeah. um, in a culture that values busyness, in a culture that values always having our minds and our times occupied, that the feeling that, hey, I literally don't want to get out of bed, um, that I don't want to push through the day. Like you said, there are so many things in your life that you should be happy about, um, that these feelings of depression or sadness that you are experiencing, you shouldn't be feeling, yeah. and that we give people the freedom to say, own what you are experiencing, but also talk to somebody about that. And we're going to talk more about that in this episode. But just being able to hear yourself enough yes. that you know what you're experiencing and then being able to know, okay, this isn't okay, um, that I need to talk to somebody about these things because this isn't um, what should be normal for me um, in a healthy emotional existence. So Summer, we think uh, in... The topic of depression uh, and suicide within the context of our Christian faith. But how do we think about trying to battle or alleviate these thoughts or even engage them with truth? You talk to us about, you know, grounding ourselves in God's story. And so how do we begin to use that truth to help us deal with some of these harder points of depression and suicide? Yeah. Um, not to get too granular, but I, I do think a, a good starting point when you're talking about it. I just think about that word battle. Mm -hmm. So we use war imagery a lot because the Bible has some of that. But when you tell someone who's depressed to battle something, right, is like, I haven't brushed my teeth in three days, yeah. you know, or I haven't. But we're, we're pulling that uh, language from scripture. Um, but there's also a... Um, a Jesus who he is gentle and he is tender and his kindness pulls us towards repentance, right? And so I'm all for battling things, but um, when we're talking about uh, depression, we would want to tee it up as how can you be gentle um, 
and kind to yourself as you figure out what your next step is. And that gives someone who is barely functioning permission to barely function and do the next tiny thing without the shame, right? Um, So that's a good starting point. Um, So the fueling emotions for depression and for um, the act, um, attempting suicide or completing suicide, typically are hopelessness and helplessness. So there's nothing is gonna get better. I I can't think about the future. And even if there was something, I'm too, I'm helpless. I cannot get there. I'm inadequate. So when we're thinking about, okay, as a, as a believer, how do we challenge that? How do we move towards that? Um, uh, I would say, okay, helplessness and hopelessness. Hopelessness says um, things are not going to get better and no one's coming for me. And we know that's not true as believers. Um, what I'm not advocating for is, hey, let's put our hope in circumstances changing, although I absolutely believe we can pray for that. Um, but it's putting our hope in something greater. Um, the helplessness piece is that toxic shame of, I don't have the same dignity as other humans. I'm subpar. Um, and so they're not going to connect as believers, um, whether you're a believer or not, with that image bearer status as I have value as a believer, um, as a, a bearer of Christ's image, of God's image. So that would be a great starting point. Practically, here's the question when I want to ask people with depression is, um, uh, let's figure out where it's coming from. So when you figure out where um, the depression is coming from, what's the cause, that gives us direction on how to engage it, how to treat it. Um, you'd, you'd obviously, you'd want to think through the lens of what's this person's age, what's their race, what's their gender, um, uh, what's their helpful history, but where is it coming from? Um, and so here are a couple things you can think about. Where would this be coming from? Um, trauma response. Grief, so bereavement that has moved to depression, um, family of origin pain, genetics. Sometimes our, our, our brains just are wired um, differently. Stress, um, cognitive distortions, fancy word for lies. Uh, and then uh, especially after uh, the last year and a half, loneliness and isolation. Um, so sometimes the feedback is if we just want people to know Jesus and know the Bible, and that should alleviate depression um, and hopelessness and suicide. And um, I don't think that's a helpful comment. There are people who love and know Christ deeply and are wrestling with this. And so that's kind of a shaming idea. So the practical idea of let me dig into this gives practical, specific ways of what a next step would be. Yeah, Summer, I love I I love what you're doing and drawing to the heart of uh, of God in that it is there are believers who are struggling, who are uh, even in the use of warring, yeah, to get out of bed yeah. in the morning, and uh, God is looking on them pleased. He loves yes. them yes. and is tender toward them. Yeah. Uh, and there is a way in which, uh, particularly as believers, uh, knowing that all truth is God's truth. So we actually get to look uh, on science. We get to look on modern modern psychology. We get to look on things like medication and be able to, yeah. to navigate, okay, well, what does it actually look like to utilize those common graces in our lives? So can you talk with us a little bit yeah. about that? Maybe where does uh, therapy, modern psychology and medication fit in with all of this? One of the best things that I have done is continue to get my uh, grow in clinical training as I have been a Christian counselor or therapist. It has benefited me and um, the people I'm caring for so well. And um, that you said the right word, common grace, in that um, science, therapy, um, medicine, all those things are 
brilliant women and men have come together to research and to help um, solve problems about the human condition. And I'm grabbing it. And as long as it is it is not um, contrary to scripture, I'm running with it. That is a gift from the Lord. And there is no shame um, in utilizing um, those treatments. Um, a great example would be trauma. The more that we are learning about the brain and brain chemicals and what happens to a body when it's experienced, um, trauma is fascinating and has changed the game for how we care for people and has liberated so many people from being stuck. So EMDR, um, how to um, care for your body. We always say you can't outthink trauma. So the common, um, let's find the lies you believe and do the truth. Yes and amen. That's a main treatment of mine, but you can't outthink trauma. You have to deal with the body. So um, grab those common graces and run with them in a good way. It is, it's a gift from the Lord that um, if you have access to that, that is a, a privilege and a luxury. And so I'm a, um, a big fan of those. When we think about um, us as Christians and what is, because we have a hope that's rested in Jesus. Um, and for many, the their experience with depression specifically is not a short-term deal. Yeah. And so what is the hope that we can express to our friends and family members who are working through these types of seasons? What's the hope that we can hold on to ourselves? Uh, because sometimes I think we we look towards quick fixes. And I don't think this is a category that falls into the bucket of a quick fix. So what's the hope we yeah. can point people towards? Yeah, so um, if the goal for all Christians, in my opinion, is... Um, to look more like Jesus and to become mature disciples. That doesn't, we don't, that's not a different hope for the person with depression. That's the same hope is I want to run this race and look more like Christ. So what does that look like with a long-term diagnosis or something that I'm doing all the things, um, but it, it's, it's recurring. So um, here are a few things that I think we can get more specific. Um, for, pe- for Christians struggling with this, I would say, hey, I want you to have a hope that transcends the lies and the emotions of depression. So depression is going to distort um, your thinking and your feeling. Those are two separate things, even though they're connected. Thoughts and feelings are different. Um, but we have a hope that transcends um, the lies and emotions of depression. Um, I also, um, here's another practical hope, um, understanding your illness helps you engage it in a way where it's not an identity. Um, it's, this is not who I am. This is something that I move through um, from time to time. And so when you understand something, you can experience it and have a plan for it without it having to own you. Um, uh, and the the other hope is um, there is healing. I, I strongly believe that there is symptom relief and there is healing. Um, even if it is going to be a long-term diagnosis. But the best and ultimate hope um, is Jesus and getting to be with him, right? So that it's not this, life is going to completely suck until you get in front of Jesus. That is not what we're communicating. There is hope um, and joy in the land of the living. But to say, um, I know scripture and I know truth in a way that I can plant my feet on that, um, that this is not the end of the story, as we've been teaching at our church with our Revelation series that we did this spring. Um, but knowing that uh, depression, will say, is all-consuming and you can't see out of it. But we know that our life um, is a vapor. We know that there's a larger story being written. Depression says you're the center and you're not good. 
So to come out of that and go, there's a giant story that I'm not the center of and this isn't the end of it. And that's where it comes back to understanding your illness. Um, that is That can be a, it doesn't change what you experience, but it can help you move through it in a healthy way. Um, so, so that's a little bit of high level and practical. Um, but the goal of healing is to minimize the symptoms of depression while having a hope in Christ. So work your treatment plan, guys, right? <laughs> Don't just read your Bible. Work your treatment plan. Reach, girl. I will get yes. you a plan. Come find Reach. me. Yeah. <laughs> Summer, I, uh, I love that you, what you have just implored uh, the sufferer to is to situate themselves in God's story and then to also understand their own story, yeah. uh, to actually have a right understanding of who they are in light of the grander story that we are, the grand narrative that we are wrapped up in. Uh, that's beautiful and true for every believer. Every true believer. True for every believer. So we want to wrap this up by talking about where we believe mental health is going. But real quick, let's talk about one of our sponsors. I want to talk real quickly about our other sponsor, the Christian Standard Bible. The CSB is a relatively new Bible translation, and the translation itself is really solid. It's taking a literal approach to translating the original language, but at the same time, it is far more accessible and enjoyable to read than many of the other literal translations you've probably read. Here's a great example from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. All that to say, we're excited to be partnering with the Christian Standard Bible. So check it out at csbible.com. Okay, Summer, uh, I'd love to talk a little bit about some of the the practicals for uh, for us in life, particularly for the individual uh, caring for uh, a person in their life who is struggling in depression. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, how we might be able to best encourage and support those in our lives who are struggling? Talk to us a little bit about what's going to work and what does not work. Um, get your own care. So if you have someone in your life that you are caring for who struggles with depression, suicidal thoughts, attempting suicide, get uh, get your own care and make sure you are healthy because we cannot um, uh, enter into that kind of relationship in a healthy way if you don't have if you're not doing your own work. So there's that. And then also educate yourself. Don't put the pressure on the person who's barely kind of making it through the day to educate you on their experience. And so do your own work, meaning your own your own um, health and holiness, and then um, read, get some resources. So you know kind of uh, generally, knowing that everything is nuanced and complex, but um, do, do those two things first. And the third one is ask them, right? So what's helpful for me when I'm not feeling well is not gonna be helpful for Taryn or Elizabeth. So ask them. Um, if they aren't able to give an answer because some people aren't, that's okay. Um, but just start with asking them what feels helpful. So those are my three, um, sometimes annoying, <laughs> but I always want to start with that. Say you want to own and do that yourself instead of just um, going, this is what I've heard and just I'm, I'm going to do this for you. Um, so here are the um, – what is, I think, the most helpful is learn how to hold space. It's kind of a counseling term. I'm going to hold space with you. It is so fantastic. And what I mean by hold space, it's just a, a different word for the ministry of presence. 
which is I can be with you how you are in your authentic space, and I'm suspending judgment. I'm not giving unsolicited advice. I'm not telling you what you should or shouldn't do, even in a just a kind and generous way. I am holding space um, for you to show me who you are, uh, and I'm operating out of curiosity and care, not out of direction and shoulds. So you're just a, you're just going to be a, a great presence for that person. Um, if you cannot hold your own pain, you can't hold space for someone else's. And so that's why it goes back to getting your own care. But holding space is the best thing you can do. Again, and that's a little bit vague, so let me get a little bit more specific. Um, something you can say, um, hey, you are still here and you're with us and I'm proud of you for that. So someone who is barely making it through the day, who has um, attempted suicide or has suicidal ideation, um, the shame that that's where where they're at can be encompassing, and it's like I'm a failure because I'm here. It's like no, like or because I'm I'm a failure because I'm experiencing this. It's like no, you are still here. You you another day, amen. Thank you, God. Look what you're doing. So a version of encouraging them instead of always figuring out how can we solve you, how can we fix you. Look what you did. Another day when life is closing in. That is fantastic. Um, Remind them what's true and that there's no shame in not feeling it, right? And so um, Bo Hughes, Pastor Bo Hughes, came and talked to us about depression a week or two ago, and he reminded us that we equate God's presence um, with emotional regulation or an emotional experience, right? And that's not true. And he did it in such that I was the, the most fantastic wording I've ever heard on that topic. Um, but encouraging someone who's wrestling with this is this is what's true, and it's okay if you don't feel it because they're going to go, well, I don't feel that, and that makes me bad. Feeling something doesn't change the the truthfulness of it or accuracy of it. Um, so, and also, what are the small things you can help them with or celebrate? Right, it goes back to all right. You um, uh, you're not wanting to patronize people, but if they're like, yeah, I did. I um, this whole week I cleaned my house and I did this, or I was on, to work on time. That is fantastic. So, celebrating small things. Um, here's here are some things that I I don't think are helpful. Don't list off things I can be grateful for. Not helpful. Unless they tell you, would you remind me what I could be grateful for? But that really is more, they typically know they should, quote unquote, feel grateful, and they already feel bad about it. So that's not um, that's not helpful. Um, if someone is thinking about hurting themselves, um, comments in the vein of, you would hurt so many people. People love you. You would hurt them if you left. Or you can't do that to your kids. Not helpful. Again, it heaps on shame. If they start that conversation, you can thoughtfully enter into that. Don't lead with that. It's it's not a helpful uh, motivator. They already feel bad enough about it. Um, and don't equate weak faith with depression or hopelessness. Right? We all. Anytime we're not excelling, it's because we're, there's a pro- like we are a problem, and that's not a, a helpful uh, space space to do. So um, what I always like to end with on on this, when people say, how do I help someone who's struggling? Um, We just do the best we can. And so to take the pressure off of if it's your spouse or your child or your friend, and you are terrified for them, and you are living in anxiety, it's we do the best that we can. And we can't, even as trained clinicians, it's like you, you cannot control people. You cannot man, you you can just, we do the best we can and we exhale and we trust the Lord. And um, I want people to hear that after they hear me say, here's what is support. Here's what's encouraging. You just do the best you can. That's all you can do. That's right. That's so good. Uh, I, I love that you, you gave us such practical ways to care for any person in our lives. And maybe talk to us a little bit about how we might 
uh, specifically encourage the Christian in our lives who who is struggling this way? So here are the things for for the believer. Like they know Christ and they and they love Him and they're struggling with this. Um, uh, have conversations um, that challenge the idea that we equate strength and productivity with holiness or health. So we can. That's a big thing for the believer. Is I, I feel strong and I'm producing. That means I'm in the Lord's blessing me. He has favor on me. I'm holy. There's a virtue in that, and that's a worldly economy as opposed to God's economy. So that would be a starting point for someone who is a believer. That is nine times out of 10 where people will start having that conversation with me is, I can't do this. I'm not doing this. I'm a bad person. And so there's this, uh, there's that connection. So that would be, I think, really freeing and helpful to help if someone invites you into that conversation. Um, we already mentioned this, but this is not your identity. Anything that is consuming, whether we we Oh, it's conscious or subconscious can become our identity and depression is consuming. Even good things, right? Like people with, you just have a baby. This is consuming and you, that becomes your identity, motherhood, parenthood. Um, reminding them um, just the, the cl- clean foundation of um, your child of God and that's sufficient and enough. These are other things that are temporary. Um, here's something practical and this would be for believer or not believer, but um, for a believer, I still find this really, really valuable. You're wanted here. So shame says hide it. Um, you know the shoulds of Christianity, or you have a great life, and that can be like I. If I expose myself, I'll be rejected, or I'm a burden because I'm always asking for help. So communicating, uh, you're wanted here. And the deeper um, truth about that for believers is you're part of our family. So we're coming for you, whether you know, like <laughs> honor people's boundaries. I'm just kidding, guys. Don't <laughs> cross people's boundaries. They say no. But going, you're one, like, we are a family, right? The family of God. And so it's not just, ah, oh, we'll tolerate you. You're you're one of us. And so you're wanted here. Um, and, and taking it deeper than just, yeah, we like you. Uh, that's, I think, a beautiful truth people struggle with. The last one, this, this can go either way, but I think for the believer, it's valuable. Just normalize being human, Right. We are human. We have limits. God is the only one who's limitless. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. But tr- we, we, we don't realize how much we operate in that we don't feel like we should be affected by the world. Our brains should function. Our serotonin should be going how it should. We should be able to have a resiliency as believers that we don't, we're not going to be injured like um, people who don't know the Lord. And you're human, and life's going to knock you out. And that, that means you can boast in Christ's goodness, not in your strength. So I think those are really helpful for someone who is feeling helpless and hopeless, which is what depression, the fueling emotions for depression and suicide. Uh, you know, I'm thinking as you're uh, as you're talking through uh, situating someone in their gospel story to say this this piece of me that feels so shameful, I want to hide, and for the believer to sit across from someone and say, "You're wanted here. We love you," because what we actually see is that Christ has fully known us and loved us at our worst. It's all exposed. Yeah. And yet we stand forgiven and free and right where we are in the midst of in the midst of our mess. And there's there's so much freedom to be had there. But for another believer to sit across from one and embody that, the uh, effectively to incarnate Christ for their friend uh, is really so beautiful. It's really compelling. Yeah. You said it very poetically. I mean, that was, I mean, it's, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. It's like, I, we are going, you hear the cliches of we're going to be the hands and feet of Christ and the body of Christ. But it's like, you know, the depth of what that means and the weight of 
we are choosing relationship not based on preference or, a, you know, this is fun or pleasure. It's like, you're we, you're with me. We're with each other because what Christ has done for us, I can do that for you. And yeah, I think it's it gives me chills thinking yes. about it, that we would have more of that so people could just be at the table as they are. So good. As they are. Yeah. So good. This deep space of belonging and um, that you are welcome here. And so we don't have to go and look for that place of belonging somewhere else because we could spend a whole nother um, 30 minutes talking about the ways in which people try to cope yeah, um, that are not healthy um, and that lead them down darker paths um, and other issues. And for us as believers to be people who say, you can come here and all your stuff can come with you. We will not reject you. We will not judge you, but we will hold space with you. Um, and that's just beautiful because I myself have needed that in seasons for people just to care for me and all the, the jagged edges and the beauty that we can do that for other people too. And I, I love the way you're, you ended that. It's like, it's not the church going, we're healthy. You guys come so we can care, right? It's like, we I'm going to do that for you because you're going to do that for me because we're all in the boat of like doing our best. And if depression does isn't your wrestle, it's something else. So it's not let me help you. It's let us help one another, right? The one another's. And so I think that's a fantastic way to to anchor that conversation is I've needed that. Now I can give that to you and I'll need it again. And I'll raise my hand again. And then this it's the, the long-term nature of connectedness and relationships that is sometimes hard to find in our culture yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Yes, and for the believer too, thinking about uh, that very, my hope for our church, for the church, is that we would posture ourselves to like what Paul is talking about that when he says that Christ's power is made perfect yeah. in our weakness, yeah. so that we boast all the more gladly about our weakness, so that Christ's power might rest on us. And so, as a family of faith, to say, not us, Christ. Not my strength, Christ's yeah. strength. Not my ability, Christ's ability. You're welcome here because we're the same. Yeah. Your struggles get, might be might look different. It's going to have a different iteration, but we are all helpless and hopeless in need of Christ, yeah. and where we find help and hope. Amen. Amen. So, Summer, I'm going to end us. I'm going to land the plane on this question. Um, for us to provide a welcoming and inviting space for the person who's listening to this who is struggling with depression or suicidal thoughts right now, what is one thing that you would tell them? I'm going to break your rule and give two. Come on. Okay. Um, let me start here. I want you to care for your physical body, right? This is a biblical, practical idea that we are charged to steward what God has given us and our body is one of those. So care for your body. I want you to um, figure out how to sleep appropriately, meaning eight hours a night, I want you to eat well, so your sleep, your nutrition, and then your movement, and then medicine if you need it. Those are good. I would just, if someone can't sleep, it's hard to do the deeper work, right? So start with caring for your body. Uh, the second one is, this might sound cliche, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ever going to apologize for it. You're going to know and study God through the scriptures and memorizing scripture. Because when the darkness comes and I, you're... You're just like, I don't know where I am. I don't know who I am. I'm drowning. It's even sometimes hard to recall things. But if you memorize scripture and even just a story, if you're like, I can't do like word for word, but I can remember the story of Job, of Hannah, of um, I, I can remember these things, that is going to give something to stand on, even if emotions won't. So um, 
I'm not equating read your Bible to alleviate depression, although I am saying um, knowing God and him revealing himself through the scriptures and having that written on your heart is going to be um, – it's, for me, it's a non-negotiable for moving through that in a healthy and holy way. So those would be the two practical things that I would say right now. If this is you, do those two things and then think what's going to be the next. Reach out for help. Amen. You know, we remember in the dark seasons, like you said, summer, we remember what's true about God. We remember the light. Um, we remember that our God is kind and that he sees us and he does not judge us for our pain and our sorrows, but he comes alongside us in that, that we are part of a bigger story so that our depression or even thoughts about suicide do not define us and do not have to control us, but that we serve a God who is bigger and more powerful than that. But in his kindness, he allows us to walk through those things and that we would pay attention to all the things that you've suggested for us. Um, some are our physical bodies, community, medicine, therapy, all the common graces that God has provided for us, that there is hope and there is help. Um, and specifically for help, if you are struggling and need help right now, um, there are going to be resources in the show note, but I want to give you three um, quick resources right now. One is a national suicide prevention hotline. And so you can call 1-800-273-8255 um, or the crisis text hotline. Um, and so you can text someone and they will respond to you. So text the word HOME to 741-741. And then also um, on social media, I think it's Instagram, yes. is The Real Depression Project. And so a great resource. They are not necessarily framed by a Christian worldview, but still a great resource nonetheless. So those three um, resources, again, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-8255, the Crisis Text Hotline, the word HOME, to 741-741, and then The Real Depression Project on Instagram. Thank you for joining us to say Thank Summer. You, you are a gift to us, a gift Thank to the church, and I pray that your words are super helpful to whoever is listening today. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It was my joy. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Roark. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review where you listen to the podcast. Also, follow us on Instagram. Thanks and God bless.